0: The band's here, Craig's here, it's a Monday night so let's go. (music) Yes, here he is, the man with all the news on the world of entertainment. Uh, Sometimes we need smelling salts to deal with it. And indeed, I wonder whether Don McLean might even have to rewrite a very famous song after what we're about to hear from Craig Bennett. Let's go to the great man. Craig, good evening to you. And hello to you, John. Yes. Now, um, I'm looking at this one here. It's six decades since, of course, the plane went down, the remarkable dreadful tragedy that took the life of Buddy Holly, Ritchie Valens and the Big Bopper. What the day the the music died. Um, Mm -hmm. You've got something on that, have you, all these years on? Uh, uh,
1: 65 years, in fact, John. Yes, it was um, February, February 3, I think, 1959. And you're so right. Don McLean wrote that extraordinary song, The Day the Music Died, as a tribute to Buddy and Ritchie and um, uh, J.P. Richardson, forever known as the Big Bopper. Uh, Look, yes, that plane crashed in Iowa. Um, You think about Buddy Holly's life though with regard to that John basically he had a two-year career as a star and I mean so many big hits in that very short window Peggy Sue that'll be the day so many others but remembering he was only 22 when he perished and it was on a four-seater plane that was piloted by a 21-year-old guy, Roger Peterson, and it went like this. Buddy and, and the other singers were in the midst of this big tour through the Midwest, and, along with um, Waylon Jennings and uh, Dion, for those who rem- remember, and Buddy got s- fed up with the tired old tour bus breaking down in the freezing cold, and he really threw a tandy one day and hired the plane to get them or get him to the next gig in Minnesota. So it was Buddy. Singer Dion was supposed to be on board. He'd won some toss but balked at paying 35 or 36 bucks to fly. So he opted for the tired old bus. Richie Valens took his place and Waylon Jennings was supposed to go. But the big bopper, J.P. Richardson got some terrible flu. And so Waylon said, you take my seat. That'll get you to a doctor quicker. And I'll sit on the bus. And uh, so we know what happened. The Mm. plane took off at one in the morning, bad weather. Well, all these years on, America's Civil Aeronautics Board have revealed the snowstorm they took off in, in fact, was a blizzard, and that the cause of the crash was, and, and here's what their findings were, gusty wind, freezing temperatures, complete darkness that forced the pilot to rely on unreliable instruments, so unreliable And here's the thing, the pilot got confused with so much going on and absolutely zero visibility that he thought he was making a climbing turn when in fact he was making a descending turn that crashed full throttle into the cornfield and, you know, the story goes, the wreckage was found eight hours later and Buddy's famous glasses were found months later when the snow melted, it had crashed that far in. Uh, look, bad weather was given as the cause uh, of that crash at the time and ever since, so that's what we know. But the new information has the faulty instrumentation coupled with the weather way worse than was uh, initially thought. And uh, this, that's the compelling part, the fact that the pilot thought he was climbing when he was actually descending and straight into the cornfield. So. That is what happened. That's the new bit of information there that now kind of uh, completely pieces together what happened 65 years ago uh, that took those four people, Just including remarkable. three great singers. Yeah. Mm.
0: All right. I'm not sure what to make of this next one you've got for us at 23 minutes to 11 or 10 in Queensland. Uh, Freddie Mercury. Uh,
1: yes. He's
0: been uh, he's been long gone, but you've got something for
1: us, have you? Well, look, his fans could be in for a right old thrill, as they say, as there is talk of Freddie returning from the crypt uh, in the form of an all-singing, all-dancing, 3D immersive hologram that they say will look so real you would swear it was Freddie right there on stage in his white singlet, the tight jeans, you could almost reach out and, you know, um, uh, touch him. Belting out songs like Bohemian Rhapsody or We Are the Champions or I Want to Break Free. And so, John, the plan is to tour Freddie's AI perfected hologram around the world. I mean, you think about it, ABBA's been performing as holograms uh, or avatars in London since 2022 in their very own purpose uh, built theatre, uh, which incredibly is 99% full every night. And that ABBA Voyage virtual concert residency has taken something to the tune of $300 million in ticket sales. I mean, Whitney Houston returned as a hologram, but the technology on that particular one was not all that flash. So it... uh Didn't do well. Uh, Maria Callas, Roy Orbison, even Buddy Holly, we're just talking about, have been brought back to life as holograms. So you'd think of Freddie, died in 91, only 45. And it's interesting because last year, Brian May, Queen's Brian May, said, look, they talked about a Freddie hologram tour. But he said, really, not while he was alive. When he's dead, sure. But what's interesting, John, is tonight it's been revealed that the company that manages Freddie's back catalogue of music has filed a trademark for his name in 3D, AI and virtual reality, leading those who know these things to say plans are seriously afoot to bring Freddie back to life. And legal papers outline an immersive 3D experience, which essentially means a hologram to us. So watch this space. Freddie Mercury about to uh, kick the top off the crypt rise from the grave and dazzle the world with all of those songs once again, but in AI form.
0: Yeah, I, I actually had a conversation with the great Rob Duckworth uh, a couple of weeks ago. He was over there because yes. he knows Queen really well, and he was over watching the Queen tour with Adam Lambert over there in yes. Japan. And I've been meaning to get uh, Robbie in here to have a chat about all of this because he's, he's known them for years. Uh, so I might throw that up as well. We, we might be doing that in the weeks ahead. And I should also remind our listeners, you and Carlotta are here, and it's going to be, <laughs> I think, Thursday the 7th of March. It is. You're going to be here in the studio, so I'm counting Diaries, folks. It's in my yes. diary now. Yep. Let's look at this one. Uh, Cher has provided lots of material for this uh, particular segment. She More
1: tonight. More tonight, yes. She is back in my showbiz rap. Uh, and it's because her son, Elijah Blue's wife, uh, Murray Angela, uh, so I guess Cher's daughter in law has ripped the lid off what it was like living with the Hollywood legend in her Venetian-inspired $75 million, uh, well, Malibu fortress, it's called. And it would seem by her account it was all totally bizarre. Hence, I'm telling you, John, um, you know, if they're sitting around eating scones and sipping tea, maybe it mightn't be all that flash, but uh, it wasn't that at all. Look, as we know, she's not having a great trot with her son. There's been that legal argy-bargy because... Cher feels that he may still be off the rails and perhaps using drugs, and she's worried because he's got this $4 million inheritance from his late dad, Greg Allman, the rocker, and Cher worries that uh, if he's still... um uh, not on the straight and narrow, he could blow all of that with his excesses. And, of course, the son has fired back recently saying that's all rubbish, his life is in control and he wants his mum to butt out. So, uh, anyway, uh, we talked, I think, last month about uh, his wife's sensational claims that she can't drive, can't cook for herself, can't dress herself, doesn't even know the security code to uh, her Venetian-inspired fortress and that she's uh, prone to manic-depressive episodes. So, anyway, look, tonight uh, she's done a little more she claims that after COVID struck, uh, she and her hubby Elijah decided to hunker down with Cher at the mansion and she reckons Cher was always paranoid uh, but living with her for a year was kind of off the charts saying it was a very, very odd house. How Cher let them go to the shops for only one hour a week remembering this is during COVID, and she had them on the clock, so it was one hour. They had to shop in gloves, masks and in a plastic suit, and when they got home, they had to strip off and were sprayed down. Now, she also says Cher was in her room the whole time. She didn't come out, and this was for like a year, and they weren't allowed to see her. Um, She also said that things got worse when they moved out, that Elijah was so freaked out by all that had gone on, Uh, He relapsed, was living like a zombie and filed for divorce and Cher hired this goon squad to come and kidnap him, that we've talked about, and he wound up in some Mexican rehab where he was literally kept in a cage for weeks. Uh, Well, anyway, uh, the divorce is now off. They're clean and happy, uh, the two, and he's clean and sober and they just want to live happily without mother-in-law's interference. And she says she wants an apology from Cher for making the last few years of their life so miserable with crazy hay- behaviour and, and, and bonkers legal threats. So, um, yeah, there you go. If you get invited to the uh, the mansion, John, might give you pause for thought, eh? It's going to give me lots of pause for thought. I'm not sure I'm getting an invitation, but look,
0: I'm going to take a break. Before I do, me though, neither. Craig, uh, that little chat about uh, Buddy Holly just inspired yes. me to play DJ because his last song that he released before he died, Yes. was it doesn't matter anymore just goes a couple of minutes Beautiful. and he's got those vocal acrobatics I always I think this is such a joyous song and then it was uh, I think it was the first posthumous uh, number one in the UK as well this one so I thought tonight I know the band sort of wants to play again but they're just going to have to uh, take a back seat let's just play a little bit of this one there
2: you going, baby here am I will you Left me here so I could sit and cry Well, golly gee, what have you done to me? Well, I guess it doesn't matter anymore Do you remember, baby, last September How you held me tight each and every night? Well, whoops of daisy how you drove me crazy But I guess it doesn't matter anymore There's no use in me a-crying I've done everything and now I'm sick of trying I've thrown away my nights And wasted all my days over you Well, you go your way and I'll go mine Now and forever till the end of time I'll find somebody new, baby We'll say we're through and you It won't matter anymore. There's no use in me a-crying. I've done everything and now I'm sick of trying. I've thrown away my nights and wasted all my days. I'll go mine Now and forever Till the end of time I'll find somebody new And baby, we'll say we're through And you won't matter anymore You won't matter
0: anymore Yes, Paul Anker wrote that song And Craig always uh, oh, got a bit of a you know, just think about—he he wrote it. Well, Paul Anka wrote it, and it was released not long before uh, they died in that plane crash. And that, that yes. what about the acrobatics? The <laughs> the voice—it's re- remarkable, isn't it?
1: Well, everything about that song is so beautiful. You're right. Paul Anka wrote that, but he wrote it especially for Buddy yeah. Holly. And um, you think about Buddy that incredible voice and as you phrase it that wonderful vocal gymnastics and, and the, the f- fabulous arrangements and to think he was uh, 21 just over 21 yeah. when he sang that yep. song yeah, you know exactly. he sounds so much older because yeah. he had such a beautiful rich uh, kind of older voice that mm-hmm. just had it was like the the, the years of, of fabulous experience under his belt and he didn't he was young and that was such a beautiful song which yep. I'd forgotten how good it was thanks yep. for playing that John um...
0: Anthony says, uh, "Abbey Voyage in London saw it on the twenty-first of December. It was incredible, almost like they are on stage. So realistic, it was surreal. Brought me to tears at the end. It was so emotional. So there you go. That's uh, you know, uh, big thumbs up to that one. And no wonder so many people are going and seeing it." 131873 is the number. We're talking with Craig Bennett. We're going to be back in just a moment at 14 to 11 or 10 in Queensland. Talking about uh, shows, Kerry's been to three versions of the stage show, and that would be the Buddy Holly stage shows. Um, Never forget this wonderful singer. And then I've got this one from Gail. I'm seeing Craig and Carlotta at the Petersham. At Petersham. Can't wait. So there you go. So Craig Bennett, you've got people counting the minutes until you do your show. (laughs)
1: <laughs> or whatever you might call it
0: no come on all right we'll give it we'll give we'll give our listeners a preview and actually i might get a. can we get the rundown of where the shows are on so in case people haven't seen so we can actually give your shows a bit of a plug let's go of to course. the golden girls yes because still people very fondly remember the golden girls and there's always these stories coming out about what was going on behind the scenes so what have you got now
1: Well, you know, this is a little sad, John, and it goes to show you never really know exactly what is going on, obviously, until somebody tells you and... You'll recall, I'm sure last week I told you there was this new book just out in the US by Hollywood TV writer Stan and He wrote for TV shows, um, uh, and the book sums it up really, The Girls from Golden to Gilmore, because he's written for all sorts of shows from The Golden Girls to The Gilmore Girls and so many others in between. And we talked about those rumours that B. Arthur and Betty White didn't uh, really get on and uh, he knows this, as the producer of the Golden Girls told him that B liked real people and thought Betty was two-faced, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, but those rumours have gone round for years. It was another take on it, anyway. Look, uh, more from Stan's book tonight, and this concerns the late great Estelle Getty, who was one of the faves. You'll recall, I'm sure, she played B Arthur's wise cracking look spitfire of a mum, Sophia Petrillo. Uh, and and the thing that was so fascinating is that. Well, she was actually a year younger than Be Arthur, but she was playing Be Arthur's mum. And all of that was thanks to the uh, uh, the, the, the makeup whizzes back in the studio there, where Estelle would sit for two hours and they'd age her up with the grey wig and the dowdy makeup and whatever else. Anyway, look, Stan reveals that during the making of the Golden Girls, Estelle was, but didn't know, in the grip of dementia. And it was later identified as Lewy body dementia, the same kind that essentially addled Robin Williams' mind with all sorts of horror hallucinations and, as we know, that led to him uh, in taking his own life. And Stan writes that if, if you look back at the Golden Girls and you see Estelle, for instance, eating raisins out of a hand or uh, endlessly looking into a large cooking pot on the stove or sitting there on the countertop or ferreting in a handbag for an overly long time or looking inside the fridge... Yeah, there was a reason it was because her lines, her script, were written there, right on little notes. And toward the end, it was so bad, she was reading everything off your cards, and if you look back, you can see it because you see her eyes moving and she's kind of looking to the side of the camera. And, and it was very evident. Look, he says, even during those early days on the show, Estelle had terrible trouble remembering things, and and when she'd flub a scene, remembering it was shot in front of a studio audience, while they got set for a retake, Betty White would race over to the audience and start cracking jokes to sort of shift the focus off Estelle's slip-up and put it onto her so that, you know, people wouldn't think that poor Estelle didn't know what the heck she was doing. Look, Stan, the author, reveals toward the end of the show's run, Estelle was having panic attacks and was having regular therapy to get her ready for taping nights and I mean how sad is that that that's where your mind is at and yep. still like the great trooper she forged on and she died in 2008 but in the years before her passing she was imagining and again this is Lewy body dementia in full flight imagining her dead husband was sitting on the end of a bed talking to her Mm. and uh, in the end she had no idea who any of her co-stars were or that she was in the Golden Girls or a great 30-year career in theatre and uh, she just slipped away at home but very sad if you look back on all of that and you see that she's in her purse or in the fridge or eating raisins or any of those other things and you think, gee, that's all a little bit odd. Well, now you know why, because that's where her prompts were. All right.
0: Now, uh, just a final one tonight. Uh, I, th- I thought we we knew everything about the work that Michael Jackson had done, obviously, no. over many, many years. We're learning mm-hmm. some more tonight, are we?
1: Well, look, we are. And I, First of all, astoundingly, he left us 15 years ago this June. 15 years. I mean, 2009, he was 50 at... Doesn't seem 15 years, but anyway, we know that during his phenomenal career he endured much ridicule over the ever-changing looks and speculation as to how many surgeries he'd undergone and where he had them and whatever else. He'd always said, John, he'd only ever had two surgeries on his nose to allow him to breathe better and to hit the higher notes. But I mean, you've only got to look at photos from back when he was in the Jackson 5 to the end, it would indicate he'd undergone far more than two surgeries. I mean, some would suspect more like two dozen over the years. Anyway, after he died, his plastic surgeon said things were so bad in the schnozola department he had to rebuild Michael's nose completely as all the cartilage had collapsed and because it had been worked on so often. Anyway, look, here we have tonight his former bodyguard, a strapping chap named Matt Fedez, has spoken out on a podcast to reveal his truth behind Michael's beak. And he says, Two things led to Michael to undergo this work on his nose. Firstly, he reckons Michael confided in him that decades ago, when he was a kid, his cruel father, Joe, would mock him for the size of his nose, saying Michael inherited his wide nose from his mother's side, not the father's. That was a horrible thing for Michael. He felt bad. And then Matt says... When Michael rehearsed his dance move, he used to do these 50 spins in a row, which was almost unbelievable, like a, a tornado going round and around. But during one rehearsal, he fell over, broke his nose, and it was then, whilst under the anaesthetic getting the nose fixed, that he decided to have it trimmed down a bit. And so that was 1979, and and uh, with That was to help him breathe easier and hit the high notes. And, well, I think we can all safely assume uh, that he obviously had more than two surgeries, yep. it would seem. But anyway, that's apparently the reason there that it started is. off what had gone on. For those who've always wondered, maybe yep. not too many people, but anyway, it could help you win a meet, tray at the next trivia Exactly. Well, exactly. It exactly. Uh, so comes says, in handy.
0: Joe says when he hears Buddy Holly feels so sad the way we yeah. both said it, go. who knows what he would have uh, done had he actually lived and uh, what he would have gone on to do. Also, um, now uh, a lot of people talking about uh, your shows. So I've got Carl Hill RSL on the 8th of March, Petersham RSL 9th of March. So look, this is for our Sydney listeners. You're going to Queensland? Cause oh, know. yes, and Good. Victoria okay. and all round okay. the place. But those the, dates are to be determined. But at the moment, Petersham, then you're at Camaray Norse Leagues, Blacktown, and then you get into April, Hornsby, Penrith. Uh, then you've got Campbelltown Cube, Burwood RSL, DY RSL, and Wente Leagues. I'm going to make sure we know, uh, keep our listeners up to date on all of those. But we'll do this again next Monday, mate. Thank you.
1: Yep, thanks, John. Catch you then and can't wait to see you live and in living colour and you with a feather bower on. Yep, Thursday week. It's happening. Thank you. We'll get pictures.